The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Film Show and park your scepticism at the door. This week's movies are concerned with the bigger questions. They're examining life, death and the karmic cycle. They're looking at angels and demons, God and the Nazis, children and pensioners. All human life is here parading itself in an assortment of wigs and false teeth and often bearing an uncanny resemblance to the Hollywood actor Tom Hanks. Mystery upon mystery. Coming up on this week's show, Terence Malick sets Ben Affleck amid the buffalo on his new film To The Wonder. Terence Stamp and Vanessa Redgrave prepare to join the heavenly choir with Song for Marion. And the good Nazi children take a walk through the forest in the wartime drama Laura. First up, it's Cloud Atlas, adapted by a trio of directors from the Booker shortlisted novel by David Mitchell and spinning a sextet of interconnected stories that stretch all the way from 1849 to the far distant future. It transpires that we are all linked, we're all bound together, and true love never dies. That's it. The music from my dream. There are whole movements I wrote imagining us meeting again and again in different lives, in different ages. I can't explain it, but I knew when I opened that door... A powerful deja vu ran through my bones. Cloud Atlas is by turns a historical drama, an apocalyptic sci-fi fable, a nuclear thriller and a bedroom farce. It cross-cuts and cross-dresses. It stars Tom Hanks in a myriad of roles as a cackling doctor, a nerdish scientist, a blinged-up gangster and a tattooed tribesman. It is altogether rather curious. Our lives are not our own. We are bound to others, past and present. Joining me now on the karmic merry-go-round is The Guardian's Catherine Short and Henry Barnes. Henry, it strikes me that if you like Tom Hanks, you're going to love this film. Yeah, there's plenty of him uh, in many, many, many different guises. Um, Cloud Atlas felt to me like there's a restaurant down the road, which is a world buffet. So you can have a pizza and then a deep fried prawns on top of that and then curry sauce on top of that from all over the world, any type of cuisine you like. And it's all thrown together. And Cloud Atlas is exactly like that. And it's a huge portion of everything you could want. And when thrown all together, it tastes absolutely disgusting. <laughs> Did it taste disgusting? You, you really didn't like it? I, I like kind of bits of it. I really, I, I really admired the ambition. I think the, with the Wachowskis, one thing you can't do is fault them for their ambition. This is a what nearly three hour long film. It's a hundred million dollar budget and they got that from friends and private investors. So it's essentially one of the biggest independent films ever made. Mm. So, you know, there is a, a highfalutin um, goal that they have for this film. I'm just really not sure what the goal is. I'm still not entirely sure what the film is about for a start. I mean, can you enlighten me a bit? It's... No. I mean, I think that, that if that's, that's it's probably its great failing. That almost, I wish it was more messy because if it was more messy, there would be loose ends and things to kind of engage with and some ambiguity in there. And actually, it struck me as very, being very kind of neat and tidy mm. in that it's basically saying we're all one. People who are bad will always be bad, no, no matter what era they crop up in, and they'll be played by the same actor to remind us that they were bad in a previous life. Um, and it's, it's kind of vapid. I almost thought it was better when it was just a, a pure kind of farcical romp, when it was actually just going for the, the, the sort of stupid knockabout comedy. There's a lot of people getting hit by 
pans and falling out of windows and yeah. things like that. And yet, then there's this awful kind of po-faced noodling that goes on as well. The book I enjoyed because it had this Russian doll structure. Where yeah, you, well, it's you a very literary each, structure, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and you visited each of the stories in turn and then you went back to them. What the Wachowskis have done, which works actually surprisingly well, is that they've chopped every storyline up into a, almost a mosaic of storylines. So you zip between these different timelines and different characters, which is confusing in itself, but did, did work for me. What was a little more troubling was the kind of uh, racial swapping that was going on with a lot mm, of the actors. Yeah. So you have Halle Berry in whiteface at one point, and then um, James Darcy. James Darcy dressed up as a kind of neo soul Korean, and it, it's utterly bizarre. And I think they're trying to say that you follow this character's line through past, present, and future. But at the same time, you're thinking this is just weird looking, incredibly alien and strange yeah. in ways it shouldn't be. And Hugo Weaving in drag as yeah. Nurse Noakes. I think that's the knockabout stuff again. That is that the knockabout stuff. Me. I found it's, that quite funny. It kind of you know, did. It was kind of one flew over the cuckoo's nest in a kind of Amdram version. Catherine, you've, you've steered well clear of this, haven't you? Yeah, now you're kind of convincing me. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, you know, I, I haven't seen it yet. And I suppose in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking with this one, is life too short? Uh, and, and, you know, would it be improved by a drinking game? Uh, is, what do you think? Well, I think the film's message is that life isn't too short, and if, even if it is, you come popping back again, just with a different wig on and some false teeth. Fear. <laughs> Belief. Love. Phenomena that determine the course of our lives. These forces begin long before we are born and continue after we perish. Tom Hanks, I think, in Cloud Atlas. He's a master of disguise. Now, after staggering away from all of that metaphysical musing, you might be forgiven for thinking, what I'd like now is some more metaphysical musing. In which case, have a look at this. Love is not only a feeling. You shall love. To the Wonder is Terence Malick's gorgeous, swooning meditation on romance gone sour and the existence of God. Ben Affleck and Olga Korolenko are the ill-starred couple whose romance blossoms in France and then flounders in Texas among the bison, while Javier Bardem dips in and out of the action as a doleful Catholic priest. You shall love. Catherine, I think I'm alone out of the three of us in absolutely adoring Tree of Life, Malik's last film. You two weren't so sure, I recall. This one I wasn't so sure about, and I'm, I'm kind of coming around to your way of thinking. Uh, I think the thing is, with Tree of Life, what I heard everybody say is, on the second viewing, it reveals amazing things. This one I've seen twice, and it did reveal interesting things on the second viewing. The first viewing, I agree, it is difficult. Once your expectations of plot and uh, uh, have sort of been, you know, dispensed with, mm. and once your annoyance at, at uh, the central character, who's played by Olga, I've forgotten how you pronounce El her name. Olga Korolenko. Yes, best known She's as She's the lady. French free spirit who loves running through summer meadows and shopping malls with her arms aloft. Yeah. She's often burning things and she does a lot of prowling and sensual dancing. Always dancing. dancing. Always dancing. Always dancing. And always infernally irritating. <laughs> she is. But all of them keep moving throughout. There's not a moment when one of them doesn't isn't going like that or you know mm. it's terribly what I quite wobbly. liked I mean you've got Ben Affleck an A-list star in there and I liked Malick's habit of, of kind of shooting almost like the back of his head yeah. or, or him half in profile and it's 
really interesting and it completely breaks the rules of how you handle a Hollywood celebrity Absolutely. actor. I haven't seen anyone look as bored or bemused in a film as Ben Affleck in this. He's literally doing the Sean Penn in The Tree of Life, yeah. of wandering around thinking, I don't know yeah, are they filming what I'm me? doing. Is this going to make it into the film? Yeah. What am I having for dinner? When it's... am I shooting Argo? Yeah. <laughs> but for all the same, I mean, I don't think I like this much, but I did find it strangely beautiful in places mm. and weirdly hypnotic. And I think Malik has... You know that kid in American Beauty who was filming the plastic bag and yeah. emoting about how beautiful yeah. it is? I think he basically has grown up into Terence Malick. I loved bits of this. Mm. And yet all of the criticisms that were levelled at the Tree of Life, saying it's basically a, a glorified kind of perfume ad, I thought apply to this far more in that I did not care about the central two at all. Uh, and whereas in Tree of Life, it, it was, it came out of a place of great pain with the death of the child and the, the, the child actors in the film were astonishing. And I thought Brad Pitt was great in this. Here, there was no emotional center I think that is a problem. I mean, essentially, you've got this love triangle and it's difficult to care which way it goes and difficult to kind of process what the logic is anyway. Um, but I do think it, I do think there's a lot of wonderful stuff in here, actually. I mean, you were talking about the sand. I mean, those scenes early on with the mud in that mm. amazing way are fabulous. Sort of trampolines. Yeah. And I mean, there's so much, there's, you know, it's so like take shelter and it's so like beasts of the Southern wild with all these beasts and sort of eco worry. And, you know, it, it does, it does sort of get under your skin on the second viewing it in good ways. I mean, if you can bear to see it again, I would advise doing so. Um, What's the significance of the buffalo, do you think? He does love the buffalo. Well, I think he's saying that once we commune with our prehistoric ancestors we can be truly at peace as humans. <laughs> Sounds like the tree of life again. I mean, I think why I like this one that was that it didn't really go to that kind of what does human existence mean, let's talk about metaphysics. It was, Doesn't it not? I felt like it was more just about the, them and their relationship and we were constantly seeing a repetition of all the things that annoy each character about the person that they're with and that's that's part of being a relationship that's falling apart, I guess. You're constantly going through that motion of, oh, we'll try and make it work, we'll try and make it work, and it can be beautiful, but at the same time, it's probably going to end up in a horrible mess. In a way, it's a bit like, I give it a year, the Rafe Spool Roseburn <laughs> rom <-com. laughs> like that. I'm sure he'd love that comparison. <laughs> make a really good double bill. Um, but there is, there is a lot to love here. I mean, you're being a bit, a bit harsh on it. Well, am, am I out of step again, then? You two actually preferred this to The Tree of Life. No, it's not, no, the, no. But it's not, you know, people went crazy for The Tree of Life and have gone crazy bad for this one. And that's, you know, you've got, got to have some moderation, I think. I, I mean, preferred it to The Tree of Life. Grass. Whispering Soil. glass, <laughs> whispering bison. Awaken the divine presence which sleeps in its man, its woman. Know each other in that love that never changes. Terence Malick there taking us to the wonder and back. And now I think it's high time we got our head out of the clouds and our feet on solid ground. There's a community choir down at the local town hall and they're about to play a song for Marion. You are the sunshine of my life. The great Terence Stamp and Vanessa Redgrave play an old married couple in Paul Andrew Williams' heart-tugging British comedy. Song for Marion is easing towards the sickbed, all set to croak. Happily, there is still time for a rousing encore. 
Henry, this is like the, the sunny antidote to Michael Haneke's Amour, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's packed full of cliches about cancer and dying in, in a way that Amour isn't, really. Um, Marion's got movie cancer, so she feels a bit tired now and then. Again, I like the ambition of this film in that it was trying to do a family drama and wrap it up in a sort of candy-coated light-heartedness that would somehow sell it and, uh, and make it... And that's ambitious, yeah? <sighs> It is, I guess, for a film about terminal illness, it's mm. trying to, you know, it's trying to give, say this stuff happens, but there are ways of surviving afterwards. But at the same time, that's monstrously cliched in its own right. And the worst thing about it is this troop of oldies here who are kind of dressed up in hip hop garb and made to sing Megadeth or... Um, I think it's, yeah, Motorhead, Motorhead and Salt sorry, and Pepper. Yeah, Salt and Pepper. Let's talk about sex, which is kind of hilarious because they're old. Yeah, and it's this, uh, this suggestion that you know, this is crazy. This yeah. is kooky. Old people don't do this. They don't sing about sex. When, you know, if they're going to sing about sex, why not just show, us, show them singing a song about sex and get on with it mm. and, and say it's matter of fact rather than being like, you know, them throwing gangster shapes and putting their back out when they try and do hip hop dancing. Yeah. It's just this real jarring clash between her illness and the family drama going on around yeah, that. Yeah, those were by and far the worst And this cartoonish stuff that's going me. on with the yeah. choir. Yeah. Which, you know. I really liked Terence Stamp in this. I thought that he was, he was kind of, uh, it was a good, meaty role for him. Uh, and the, the first time that I've, I've seen him probably be a kind of grumpy old man as opposed to still trying to hang on to his sort of pretty boy looks. I thought he was good in this. Yeah, I mean, I think to some extent the casting of the film is, is both its sort of saving grace and its big problem mm. because, you know, Stamp's great, Vanessa Redgrave's, you know, she can certainly act. Um, even, you know, Gemma Arston sort of got a lot going for her there. Gemma Arston is, is the, the teacher at the, teacher. the community yeah. choir. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, those people, they all give it incredible welly. I mean, Redgrave, you know, it's, it's you know, she puts a lot of flesh on some pretty skeletal bones there. Uh, but the thing is that, you know, and so in a way, you can't help but be moved on a very surface level here. I was at a public screening of this last night. People were weeping almost all the way through. Yeah. And, you know, and it does sort of prod you, you know. In a, on weeping? Loads of people, everyone around me, just, everyone near me was <laughs> <laughs> just crying. But, um, but you know, it, it, does, it, but it doesn't sort of linger with you as an mm. upsetting thing. And I think the thing is that they're all terribly good. I think the other thing is that the characters seem bizarre. You know, I know they're meant to be a mismatched couple. We've got Terence Stamps, Arthur is very grumpy, mm. and Vanessa Redgrave's uh, Marion is, is very like lovely. She's like Olga Korolenko 50 years on, isn't she? <laughs> Always <laughs> dancing, <laughs> dancing. <laughs> and, you know, they're so mismatched that you can't see that they'd have ever got together. Mm. And you sort of think, well, maybe they just got Stamp and they got Redgrave and they thought, fuck it, let's just go for it. Mm. And, you know, Gemma Arterton as well, I mean, she plays this character who's incredibly lovely, unbelievably gorgeous, always getting dumped, can't find a boyfriend. <laughs> and you sort of think, well, really? Really? Would you, you know, why does nobody say, but you're gorgeous? Uh, it just feels miscast in strange ways that sort of redeem it, but also leave you just really confused. OK. Keep an open mind when listening to this song. And yes... It is what they're talking about. Spinderella cut it up one time. It's got a nice little groove to it. Yeah, this is good. Yeah, I like this. Come on. Let's talk about sex, baby. It is all about sex. 
why shouldn't we be talking about it? Or singing about it? Better than just thinking about it. Song for Marion. Just time for one last film, and luckily it's a good one. It's Laura, a dark, dreamy fable about the dog days of World War II and a fruit trip through the Black Forest. Inside, there may be wolves. It's the spring of 45 and the Nazi high commander in full retreat. Left behind is teenage Laura, the daughter of a German officer, who must now lead her siblings through the forest in search of dubious sanctuary. The country is changing, the Third Reich is over, and the former pocket Nazis must adapt quickly or die. Catherine, this is a wartime drama that shows a side of the war that, that isn't usually seen on screen, is it? That's true. Um, but I think, I think the fact that you don't sort of see the side of the war and they are, you know, the enemy is, is sort of uh, mitigated in a way by the fact they're innocent children. And so they could be any, you know, nationality on any side of the war. They're just poor little children. So I think that's sort of one of the least exceptional things about this film. Um, I'm not sure it is an exceptional film. It's certainly very good. Uh, it's, you know, it's got a very single focus, this, this young family's, you know, walk through the forest. Um, for me, it could have done with, it's got a strange sort of blend of, of woozy, mm. you know, sunny vision and sort of gritty horror. There's an awful lot of yeah. blooded corpses along the way. It could have done, for me, with a bit less artistic licence and a bit more focus, a bit more kind of austere cinematography. It's certainly over-decorated, yeah. I think. There's a lot of, of wafting grass and wafting curtains and yes. that sort of long shadows in the, the forest yeah. and, and things like that that she's a bit obsessed by, this yeah. Australian director, Kate Shortland, um, and, and kind of falls prey to that a bit. But at the same time, that does give it a kind of, like you say, a woozy intensity as well. I would have, yeah, I would have preferred a bit less of the, you know, we were saying that Malik's films are like a, you know, paint ad or a perfume ad. It's a bit strange. <laughs> I was going to say, it's not like the Terence But it is fantastically good in many ways, this film. The central performance is, is, is wonderful. It's sort of shocking. It's incredibly gripping. It's moving. It's sort of um, quite sexy. Um, yeah, there's that sort of thrumming eroticism that sort of goes through it as well. Yeah. Hen, did the thrumming eroticism work for you? <laughs> I was thrummed. I was thrummed to my core. Um, yeah, I, I really liked it. Um, it reminded me a little bit of a Chilean film which I think came out a couple of years ago called We Are What We Are, mm. which was a story about a, a cannibal family. And when the parents are removed from that setup, then the kids have to learn work to survive out. on their own. Yeah, and yeah. work out whether what they've been taught all their life is a good thing or a bad thing. Exactly that. It's this feeling of an indoctrination being passed down a generation and them slowly realising that they've been brought up as mini monsters mm. in a way, but they're going to have to survive in the world as what they've grown into. Catherine, the catalyst for this film is the arrival of a, a Jewish runaway who, again, it, it defies your expectations because he comes in as the nominal hero, and yet the nominal heroine um, regards him with utter distaste. Yeah, well, complicated distaste, I think. Sexy distaste. <laughs> so, yeah, um, and it's a bit, you know, there's many more twists along that journey. Uh, 
I think that for me is evidence of how this is sort of a film that is is feels incredibly contemporary because it has got that coming of age kind of gauze that you know these sort of ethnic tensions and it, it feels very like it's being viewed through the eyes of a 2012 filmmaker mm. um you know if you compare it to you know louis mal films which felt much more you know even though they were a distance of 30 years or something mm. it, this feels much more removed this feels like the war was a long, long time yeah. ago, which it was. But it's um, become like a Bavarian fairy tale, hasn't mm. it? In the Black Forest element, it has got a lot of fairy tale elements. Eine Kugel kam geflogen, wird sie mir oder gewitt sie dir? Ihn hat es weggerissen, er liegt vor meinen Füßen. Starvation leads to revelation in Kate Shortland's Laura. And that's it, we've traveled from the future to the past, from infancy to old age. But remember that all of these stories are linked. We are all one, womb to tomb, and love never dies. I think it was Tom Hanks that told us that, although only the buffalo know for sure. My thanks as ever to Catherine Shord and Henry Barnes. We'll see you next week. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.